0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website gracelife.com.au. 1st Timothy chapter 6, going to go from verse 2, and I'll go through to verse 10. Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money, the love of money. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. Money is a bad lover, it will not love you back. You will prioritize money, you will love money, you will put money first, but it will not care about you. It will master you. Money can be a wonderful servant, but is a terrible master. It will dominate you, it will tell you what to do with your life. Be careful not to treasure things, stuff, resources, materials, money. Paul writes at the end of this letter, an important letter, it's one of the important things he says, be careful about money. Later on, he urges Paul to talk to the wealthy, the rich, to be rich in good works, good deeds. Store up for yourselves true treasure, true riches. What is becoming rich about? At the core of it, it's not about gaining more money. It's deeper contentment. In Jesus. I get to talk to you, to you about three big buts in this passage today. Three big buts. The first but, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Not a little gain, great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Godliness plus contentment is great Gain contentment, contentment. How many people here feel they live a content life? A sense of just satisfaction, enjoyment. Some would term it happiness. There was one, one fisherman who was sitting by the side of a lake and a wealthy industrialist saw this fisherman lazily sitting by the side of the lake. He said, mate, what are you doing? You're being a slacker. You're a fisherman. You should be out there on the boat catching fish. The fisherman said, mate, what are you talking about? I've caught my fish for the day. I've got the rest of the day off. The industrialist said, hang on a second. Well, why don't you get out there and catch more fish? Well, why would I want to do that, said the fisherman. Mate, if you get out there and catch more fish, you can sell it making more money. And when you make more money, you can buy a bigger boat so that you can go out and catch more fish and then make more money. The fisherman said, mate, why would I want to go and do that? Well, mate, if you go and get more money, you can actually sit back, relax and enjoy your life. You mean like I'm doing that right now? Why would I need any more? Contentment is one of those states. And for for our perspective, as, as we think more in a spiritual and an eternal perspective than a temporal, we are not... Physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And, And so for us, we think, what is contentment at its core? It's a state of rest and fulfillment in Jesus. And it says this He is all I need. He's all I need. He's all I need. Contentment means that what you have in the bank is irrelevant. In fact, Benjamin Franklin once said, contentment makes a poor man rich and discontentment makes rich men poor. So contentment does not rely upon what you've got in your driveway or what kind of house you live in. In fact, Bible teaches that the more stuff we have, the less likely we are to experience this sense of contentment. It's a great paradox. What do we need? Do I need that to be content? Do I really need that? I need it. I need it, my precious. I don't need things. I don't need my house to be content. I don't need my computer, my iPad that hardly works to be content, all my stuff. Have you ever tried to take an iPad off a kid? <laughs> Try to take my iPad off my three-year-old the other day. Oh, gee, it was like World War III in that house. There's manifestations going on. Oh, I need it, I need it, Dad. You need a hug. But I wonder if sometimes we're like that with God. And our dad's up there lovingly saying, hey, come on kids, you don't need that. You have all you need. And to know that, but to believe that, are two different things. No matter what happens to us or around us, contentment says we are at peace with Jesus and in Jesus if i lose my job if i lose my house how will i respond i mean it's not going to be great right but but those things tend to highlight where our hearts are really at okay well, let's not talk about the stuff let's talk about the nation we're living in what if the social or the political line, landscape shifts and changes will we be okay if our religious freedoms are under threat Oh no, how dare they? They're not letting me express my faith where I work. You're not expressing your faith anyway, so what does it matter? Oh, how dare they take those things from me? They can't take my stuff, they can't take my ad. they can't take my liberties, they can't take... If you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. We've brought nothing in this world, we'll take nothing from it. Be godly and be content. Satisfied, rested, completed, and full of joy in Jesus. Next verse. But if we have food and clothing, with this we'll be content. Let's think about that for a second. I find this incredibly challenging. with food and clothing is contentment that's enough that's enough really paul i you, i mean maybe that's that's good enough for paul because this is paul is saying i've got enough me and my me and my my team all we need is food and clothing and that's it we're content why because we are nourished in jesus we are fulfilled in jesus now when i read that A guy by the name of Paul has contentment to that extent. I think to myself, I don't know if I'm at that level of maturity. Like, am I the only one here? (laughs) How how do you feel? If you just had food and clothing, would you be content? Well, yes, past (laughs) date. I find this stuff really hard. Like, I find it really hard. Yes, food, yes, thank you very much. We need protection from the elements. That's what our clothing can do, can protect us from the elements. So what's Paul saying? Hey, I just need food in my belly and clothes to protect me, to keep me warm, whatever it is. And with that, we are content. So, um, if... If there's not contentment that's there, what might show itself? Well, greed. And contentment is far better than greed. Content- contentment may say, I need Jesus. Greed just says, I need more, 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 more. Who's greedy? Who's greedy? I mean, who are the greedy people of the world? Well, it's never me. I'm not greedy. That's someone else. Someone else is greedy. It's, it's, it's the wealthy person. It's, it's the multinational company. They're the greedy ones but not me. I'm not greedy. No. Sometimes I might tell a little white lie. That's a sin. I'll do that. I might say something I shouldn't say. I might think something I shouldn't think. I might do things I should but no greedy. No, that's not me. That's someone else. But Jesus actually warns us about this. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he says, Beware, or look out. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is trying to tell us that greed hides itself in our hearts. And Jesus says, look out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. That's interesting. He never says, look out for adultery. You never go, oh, you're not my wife. What am I doing here? uh, You know what you're doing, right? Oh, oh, be what. Watch out for stealing! Oh, hang on, this isn't my car that I've taken. What, what am I doing? This is—you don't find yourself when it comes to greed. It's very subtle, and it creeps in and gets into your heart, and it shows itself through materialism, the overvaluing of stuff, the overestimation of the importance of money, wealth, what you own. Can we go a little bit further? Okay. This is where it gets a bit awkward. How do we know if we're materialistic? How do we know if there's greed that's there? Well, if you're looking for a job, is your number one motivation how much you're gonna get? If you're looking for um, a changing of profession, Why is it that the first question that's often asked is, well, does it pay better? Where does God come into the equation? What about the consideration of family or the consideration of friends or helping people? I don't know. Jesus didn't go out and preach and say, hey, when you get your next job, make sure it pays better than your previous one because you're worth more. That's not not the life of a disciple. A disciple lives a life where, you know what, no matter what happens around about me, I put my faith in Jesus alone. That's it. Okay, let's ask another question. Maybe it's not about where you work. What about the kind of house you live in? I'm preaching to myself and it kind of hurts. Is my number one goal comfort or luxury? Or is it obedience? What about the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive? Is it our status? Is that number one? Are we still friends? Materialism can show itself in our lives by reluctance to even ask ourselves that question. The fact that I don't like to ask myself that question indicates something to me in my heart. Am I opposed to having a nice car? No! Am I opposed to having a nice house? No! God... He supplies. He gives us all things for us to enjoy. But if my heart is set on that first and foremost, it's an idol. And Jesus says, hey, look, I'll bless you with all this sort of stuff, but you find your fulfillment in me. This is the whole story in the Old Testament about God's people. He blesses a nation. He entrusts to them. And they take their eyes off him, the provider and the protector, onto the things and they err. Over time, they drift. Eventually, they come to their senses because they're they're lost, they're confused, they're hurting. Oh God, what have we done? We repent, we come back to you. They come back to God and God says, yes, fantastic. Now, let me bless you. And then we take our eyes off the giver and we look to the gift. And then again, we err over time. And so what we see in the cycles of God's people in the Old Testament is not something... We see this today in our lives, in our walk with Jesus. And it's really important for us to make sure that our hearts are on Him. Don't let greed creep in. 1635, there was a a man by the name of Robert Cain. And Robert Cain was a wealthy businessman. 1635. That's a few hundred years ago. And he was disciplined for the sin of greed. His church disciplined him for the sin of greed. Well, how do you do that? (laughs) His church was called the First Congregational Church of Boston, and this was his crime. This businessman was giving out loans and charging 6% instead of the pre-agreed amount of 4%. Well, that's good. He's a businessman. He's supposed to be making money. Be that as it may, and I'm not trying to superimpose what happened then to now, but let's look at the principle here. The church had, in their congregation, made a decision that greed was 6%, 4% was fair and good. But here, this businessman decided to go, no, you know what? 6% is good. I could do more with that money. And what did he do? He submitted himself to the church community and he wasn't excommunicated from the church. It was just that he was, he was not allowed to do things like the Lord's table or communion. This is how one, one of the marks of the Christian faith, of, of, of Christianity, actually the church, is loving discipline. This is part of written into our forefathers. This is part of what church does. It exercises discipline in a loving way. Not because it's trying to punish, but it's because he's trying to grow us. It's always redemptive and restorative. That's the purpose of discipline. That's how Father disciplines us. So here's a separate question. I wonder how willing we are to be accountable to other people in our lives. I wonder if we're actually able to have these kinds of conversations. Hey, can you help me out? If you see greed in my life or in my heart, if you see things in me that are not right and I'm not walking right, can you just let me know and hold me accountable? it's gone quite all of a sudden <laughs> so the antidote of greed then is not just giving because you can give and still be greedy giving is good giving is actually a fruit of a healthy heart but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a healthy heart you can do the stuff but your heart could be wrong hello you can behave like a christian and still not be one i'm not looking at anyone right now right so the great antidote for greed is contentment. Oh, Jesus, I'm so fulfilled in you. You're all I need. I love you so much. And a natural fruit of that value is giving and generosity. Paul discusses this contentment in terms of secrecy. Watch this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, Paul says, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, And then our most famous quoted verse, I can do whatever I want through Christ who gives me strength. No, that's not what it says. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul is saying this, guys, I've learned something. I've learned it. The secret of contentment. It is not just a given. This is something that we, as believers, by the power of the Spirit, can grow in can learn in Jesus teach me to be more contented you that you are more and more every day you are my daily bread oh that you're enough for me And as I live and feed on that revelation, other stuff just pales away. So whether I live in a great house or not, I'm content. Whether I have good food or nothing, I'm content. Whether I'm well clothed or not, I am content. Paul says, it doesn't matter what happens around about me. I've learned the secret to be content. To have rest in Him. Peace in Him. Joy in Him satisfaction in Him, fulfillment in Him, and no matter what the world throws at me, it doesn't matter because He is all I need. The final but, verse 9, those but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So the desire for wealth is ruin and destruction, which is bad for everyone, destroys and ruins. How does materialism do that? How, when Paul writes that, I love to ask questions of the text. When Paul writes that the desire for wealth or the desire for riches, the pursuit of those things. It leads to ruin and destruction. How is it bad for everyone? Well, in almost all cases, it's not instantaneous. (laughs) Over time, it erodes you away on the inside. And before you know it, you've gone so far that your decisions, your choices, your desires have shifted away from Him to stuff. Kind of like a pickle. You know what a pickle is? Who likes to eat pickles? I like pickles. A pickle is just a cucumber that's sat in brine or, or, or vinegar over a long period of time. As soon as a cucumber goes in there, it's still a cucumber, but over time, it becomes more and more of a pickle. This... Is what the love of money and the pursuit of money does to us puts us in a bit of a pickle it slowly changes us and changes our heart so that maybe maybe in one day it's it's not got a big change over you but over the coming months years and decades you're, you're so far past who you were that you don't even desire those things anymore. And this is why it's really important to think bit by bit, day by day, every single moment, choose to obey Him and enjoy Him in any... Don't go from conference to conference or even service to service. Conferences are great. Church services are phenomenal. But this is a daily choice to enjoy Him, to pursue Him, to rest in Him. I want to become more like Him, not more like the world if we're not intentional, the world disciples us away from Christ. Here's a quote from a spiritual man, not a Christian man, but he has an idea about this contentment conversation. It's the Dalai Lama and he puts more words to what Jesus ultimately says in in Matthew 6, but this is what the Dalai Lama said when he was asked, what surprises you most in your whole life? And he says, what surprises me the most is man, because man sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. Then he's so anxious about the future that he doesn't enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the He does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die and then dies having never really lived. That's the Dalai Lama. If he gets it, how much more can we? So contentment is at the core of a healthy heart. That's how you know you're healthy in him. It shows itself in Jesus. We've got some people about to get baptised in a few minutes, and they've made a decision to turn their back on the love of the world or the things of the world, but to turn toward Jesus. Having said, I don't care about the world, I don't care about the stuff, I don't care about the allure. I just want Him. In Matthew chapter 16, and verse 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then here's a, just a phenomenal question that Jesus asks. For what will it profit a man if he gains all world and forfeits his own soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Do we really get... Do we really get anything when we go for the world? We don't. Jesus says it's me or the world, not both. It's love of me. Or the love of the world. You can't love both. You can't serve two masters. He's real clear on this. And I wonder if there are some of us here in this room and you're holding hands with both Jesus and the world. That's not how God works. He says, I'm jealous for your attention, your affection, your adoration, your heart. I want all of you. I'm not to be shared. Perhaps for some of you, you're like how I was about 20 years ago. I was playing church. I was, I was enjoying God and I knew He was there. I knew He loved me, but I was still in the world and I still kind of, my heart was desiring those things, desiring wealth, desiring the stuff. I was ready to make millions of dollars when I was 17, 18 years old. That's why I went into engineering. I didn't want to go on to medicine because I don't like blood. I don't want to go on law because I hate reading. But maths and science I can do and that can make me some sort of money. Now I'm a pastor. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? <laughs> I remember just this week, a conversation I had with the Lord. When I was, I, I, he he reminded me of this. I didn't know what this conversation, where this would lead me, but I was driving my car on the way to university. Uh, it was we're going for an application, and I was there going, Lord, you have got to get me into engineering. I need to do engineering. I know you're there. I, you know, I'm sorry I haven't lived for you, but I tell you what, I'll do you a deal. Be careful when you do these deals because he reminds you of those deals. I said, if you get me into engineering, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. (laughs) I know. And I didn't really, at that point, really want to serve him. I was just bartering with him. But within six months, I rededicated my heart to him because he put that desire in me. I tell you what, I don't care about the world or what the world has to offer. There are moments that I find that the greed just creeps up in my heart. Materialism, you know, the, the, the allure of the stuff, the shiny. must have it, my precious. And Jesus says, hey, remember, you're mine and I'm yours. I want all of you and I want all of you to want all of me. We're in this together. And Jesus says to you, what, what benefit is it if you gain everything? All the stuff, all the friends, all the security and the significance that the world has to offer. And you lose your soul, your life, your breath. Your... You could even look at that as, as, as your peace, your joy. Your That's what the enemy wants. He wants to, he wants to take your... your peace. He wants to take that from you. But if you're secure in him, he can't touch it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.